Are we on the brink of a retirement renaissance or are stormy seas ahead? On today's episode, we're going to jump into the pressing issues of Social Security, healthcare, taxes, stock market trends, and long-term care. Whether you're an eternal optimist or a cautious pessimist, this episode is going to equip you with perspectives to plan your retirement years with confidence as we ask the long-standing question, is the glass half full or half empty? This is the future of retirement in America. It's time for re-engineering your finances with the founder of CP Weldy Group, Charles Weldy. Walter Storholt here alongside Charles Weldy, founder of CP Weldy Group, a certified financial planner and CPA. Looking forward to our conversation today about optimism, pessimism when it comes to the future of retirement in America. Before that, though, Charles, Halloween is right around the corner. What are you going as for Halloween this year? Well, I, um, I think I've outgrown Halloween, but I got like three grandkids, so I'll probably pop over their house and kind of like uh, hang around hang around with them for a little little while so, nice uh, what's yeah. what's the best outfit you've seen one of the grandkids don over the last couple of years well uh one was an angel one was a devil and they're both identical twins so that was oh cool. that's perfect <laughs> that is perfect i love it yeah that's a pretty good twin outfit isn't it oh absolutely i like that all right well, we'll report back to us next time around what a outfit they come up with this week or this year that'd be great sounds good All right, so let's talk about optimism, pessimism, future of retirement in America on a couple of different subjects. Let's start with the stability of the Social Security system. Is there a half-full and a half-empty view of that conversation? Well, let's look at half-full first. So basically, there's a lot that the government can do to, you know, make Social Security solvent. I mean, as we speak right now, somebody that makes up to $160,200 a year all that money is subject to Social Security tax. So there's people making a quarter of a million dollars a year, half a million dollars a year, but anything over and above 160200 is not subject to the Social Security tax. So all the government has to do is raise that base, and they've been doing it each and every year for, you know, over the last 10, 15 years. So that's an easy fix, all right? They also could, you know, change the uh, retirement dates. The early retirement date now is uh, 62. Uh, maybe the average uh, normal would be 67 and a delayed would be 70. You know, people are living longer. So, hey, maybe they change it to like 65 is early. You know, 70 is normal and 72 is delayed. So, you know, there's ways that the, the government can finagle the, the rules and regulations around Social Security to keep it solvent. It's just that nobody really wants to vocalize it because uh, if they do, it means higher taxes and probably less votes. So that's the half full version. The half empty is like, um, I don't have the statistics in front of me, but years ago, maybe, you know, 10 people were putting in money for Social Security uh, and there was one beneficiary. Today, it's more like three to one. So there's only three people funding one person's benefit. So what's happening is, you know, there's less people working and less money going in the system and more retirees and more money going out. And it's just a matter of time before, you know, if they don't change these rules that we talked about earlier, you know, that we're going to have a gigantic deficit. And I think, you know, if I was a pessimist, I would say, hey, if you're under age 55, this is just my personal opinion and, you know, things that I've read. But, you know, for the most part, uh, if you're under age 55, they might change the system. Whereas instead of like 100 percent of your Social Security wages going into the Social Security fund, 
they might allow you to take half of that and putting in a private fund for yourself and basically just put the other half in the social security system and now you're getting half a benefit but you're relying more so on how your you know portion of your investments going that otherwise would have gone into the social security fund so you know will that happen i don't know i mean i can't really predict the future but i would just say for people listening to this podcast if you're 55 and older you know you're probably going to hear social security is going bankrupt in 2032 whatever the year they're going to pick but there's plenty of fixes that they can do to just maintain that you know that money's going to be there uh, and i think that you know that'll happen uh, i'm more of an optimist about the stability of the system than a pessimist All right. Very good. That's the social security system breakdown, both the positive and negative kind of viewpoints on that situation. Let's talk health care as our next topic, Charles, uh, the affordability of health care in the future. I know there's a a half empty view of that, but uh, is there a half full one as well? You know, when you hit age 65 and, you know, you're basically going to be on Medicare, there's really two uh, routes you can go. Route number one would be traditional Medicare, where, hey, you've got a Medicare sub policy to kind of help you uh, cover some of the things that might be covered by, not be covered by Medicare A and B. Uh, so that might cost average like 300 bucks a month for most people. And then there's Medicare Advantage, which really is um, a lot cheaper. But the reality of it is, is um, and again, you know, my opinion, I did research when I turned 65, Medicare Advantage, even though it's cheaper in the short term, it could be more expensive in the long term. Why? Because if you ever come up with um, some type of medical challenge in the future, uh, the companies that are required to accept you initially when you turn 65 for Medicare supplemental policies, you know, they have the ability now to reject you because you don't fit their, you know, health criteria. So um, long-winded answer, is it half full or is it half empty? I still think Medicare traditional, where you have to spend maybe round numbers, 300 bucks for Medicare A and B and D, total and then another $300 for a sub policy called $600 a month. I think that's cheap compared to what it normally would cost if you went outside uh, the Medicare system and tried to get private insurance. I've been self-employed, you know, most of my life and, you know, in the last say 8 to 10 years, the average monthly healthcare premium I paid for each and every one of my employees was twelve to fourteen hundred dollars a month. So six hundred dollars a month for me is cheap compared to twelve fourteen hundred. The, the sad part about it is most people that work for companies that was like a plan. You know, that healthcare was a benefit that they really didn't see the, you know, the major expense each and every month. So um, you know, six hundred dollars a month might be a lot to them, but again, you know, that's a good bargain. Um, you know, the glass is half full when it comes to cost, but half empty, hey, costs are going to go up. I mean, I don't think it's going to be $600 a, a month average for Medicare, traditional Medicare with a sub policy in the future. I think it's going to rise probably like greater than the inflation rate that historically has been 3%. I project that it's going to raise 6% or more each and every year. So what's my point? My point is that you know, people that uh, are on Medicare, 65 and, and above, the government now is means testing. They're looking at your income tax return, they're looking at your total income, and they're saying, hey, wait a minute. You know, if your total income is uh, as a married couple, I'm looking at a chart here. If your income for a married couple is greater than $194,000 a year, 
you know, uh, we're going to raise your Medicare premium per month, maybe another $70. And if you're married, 70 times two is 140, 140 times 12 is 1500 a year. Uh, so the bottom line is, I'm kind of in the middle with healthcare affordability. I think the government can means test it to maybe charge us higher premiums. I think higher premiums in the future, regardless of whether we have Medicare Advantage or Medicare Traditional. But I still think compared to third-party healthcare insurance, uh, the Medicare system is relatively inexpensive. Yeah, I think that's a great breakdown and easy to see the negatives there. But I appreciate you uh, kind of looking at some of the glass half full sides of healthcare affordability in the future. At least it's not all bad news, perhaps, but definitely go into that uh, in your plan with eyes wide open of, of what could that really cost us in, uh, in retirement. And sometimes those numbers are a little scary to think about. All right, uh, let's get on to tax rates in the next decade, uh, Charles. So tax rates in the long term future. Maybe we save that conversation for another day. Let's just look at the next decade. What's the half full and half empty view of that? You know, I'm generally an optimist, but when it comes to taxes, I'm a pessimist. I mean, we've got a $33 trillion deficit. And, um, you know, for the most part, you know, our economy's not growing the way it should. There's a lot of uncertainty. Uh, So I'm just going to say that taxes need to be higher in the future in order to pay the employees of our overfunded government. I mean, I don't want to get political here, but I just don't see a, a short-term solution in the next five to 10 years where uh, taxes are going to be maintained at low levels that they are today. They're going to have to rise in order to pay the debt service on you know our, our national debt. I mean, it used to be interest rates were 3% around numbers. Now they're more like 5 6%. So, you know, the interest uh, expense on our $33 trillion deficit is, uh, is, has almost doubled. So, you know, uh, and again, I don't want to get too political, but I just, uh, I'm, a, I'm not an optimist with future tax rates. I think they're going to go up and I think they're going to go up a lot. Yeah, that's, that's uh, an easy one, it sounds like, for you to fall on the side of the pessimism, unfortunately, on the, on the whole tax rate issue. But it does seem to be where the uh, evidence leans when you kind of look at the facts. All right. What about the baby boomer generation and their long-term care options? Half full or half empty view there? I think it's uh, half full for those that, you know, that uh, have the money and really want to pay for long-term care. I mean, truth be told, I have a long-term care policy. My wife and I, uh, traditional long-term care, I think we spend roughly 250 a month. You know, that's 3000 a year times two, six grand a year for a traditional policy. It's really a good policy, but Walter, if we don't need it and we don't use it, that's an expense. And that's a, an expense that's not fixed. It doesn't go up every year, but every now and then it goes up a lot. And uh, I wonder when my wife and I are in our 80s and if we need long-term care, what the premium is going to be. So I'm not bullish about traditional long-term care uh, like we have, but I'm not going to give the policy up. I had it for a while. I can afford it. And I'm going to stay with it. However, other baby boomers, you know, there's more options available. Uh, they have these hybrid policies that you know, we may have spoken about on a previous podcast where, hey, you buy a life insurance policy, maybe you have a $300,000 death benefit. But what happens with that life insurance policy, if you ever need long-term care, uh, they allow you to take 2% of that death benefit. So 2% of 300000 in that example is 6000 a month. And now, in addition to maybe your Social Security benefit and maybe some of the investment income that you can generate, you're covered for long-term care because you have this, you know, hybrid policy that 
you know, won't be paid upon your death if you need long-term care. They're going to actually prepay you while you're alive. So that's a popular alternative for, you know, baby boomers. And again, you know, if they're funded properly, you know, the cost really isn't that big of a deal because, you know, if even if you don't need long-term care, you're going to probably, well, not probably, you're going to pass away someday. So somebody's going to get a $300,000 tax-free death benefit. So that's a good alternative. And then another alternative, and you know, I'm not here to judge and assess. I mean, it's, it's okay, but people can buy an annuity. So I'll give you an example. Somebody's in great health. They put $100,000 into an annuity. Maybe they get low interest because that's how they subsidize the cost of maybe future long-term care. But they allow you, if you're really in good health, maybe to take a $300,000 pool of money for long-term care. It's called a three-to-one long-term care uh, benefit. But you use your 100000 first, and then you're into the insurance company's pocketbook or pocket, like, you know, for the second uh, 100000 and third 100000 So th that's one alternative. If you're not in good health, maybe instead of, you know, multiplying your $100,000 investment by three, they only multiply it by two, and they give you a smaller pool of long-term care money in the event that you need it. But again, if you need it, you're spending your hundred grand first, and now you're spending, you know, uh, their $100,000 second. So those two alternatives are better than not having a long-term care policy, especially if you can afford it. And uh, I always ask clients like, hey, you know, if you need it long-term care, where would you get the money from? And, you know, if it's a CD or, you know, uh, some other asset, we just try to like make sure like, hey, is it a good idea to maybe take that asset and leverage it into a, you know, an insurance policy or an annuity that will provide you with this additional long-term care benefit. And for some people it's a go, and for some people it's not a go, but that's the beauty of planning is you just see what the needs are, you, you show them the pros and cons, and they make that determination whether that's something that they want to gravitate to or ignore. All right, last but not least, uh, let's dive into this one, Charles. Let's look at the next five to 10 years in the stock market. Are you half full or half empty there or see it both ways? Well, uh, let's see. So I'm not a spring chicken anymore. So the next, you know, five to 10 years is really important for me. But, you know, I've always been uh, a disciple of a gentleman by the name of Nick Murray up in New York. And Nick has a saying that in the stock market, short term is unknowable and long term is inevitable. And, you know, we don't know what's going to happen in the next like month half year, year, two years, but 10 years from now is a long time. And if history's any guide, the stock market will probably do better than most other investments on the planet. So, um, you know, I guess I'm really, I'm kind of leaning to the side, like I'm half full, but you know, the half empty part is like, hey, if you need money, make sure you don't have all your eggs in one basket. So, um, you know, again, you know that we love this bucket plan philosophy where, and as a general rule, we won't have one big portfolio. We'll have two of them. And one of them will be for income that we need to supplement our, our lifestyle. And the second portfolio will be for growth, which, you know, will replace that income once it, you know, gets depleted or runs, runs low. Uh, by doing that, you know, we can have a combination of both. We can have income that's pretty much predictable, and we can have growth that, if history's any guide, is pretty much predictable. So, you know, when I look at the stock market for the next five to 10 years, 
It's like, hey, let's figure out what we got to spend, put that in a conservative bucket, and then let's put the remaining balance in the growth bucket. And hopefully, you know, 10 years from now, we'll look back and say, you know what, you know, it really worked out well because, you know, stocks historically will give us a lot more return based upon, you know, um, the volatility. And the volatility is greatly diminished if we have a 10-year or more uh, time frame. Well, thanks for all the help, Charles, breaking down whether you're optimistic or pessimistic about some of these different moving parts. And definitely uh, two sides to all of these stories, and uh, people have to make up their own minds on which side of the fence they lean on. Uh, But you give us some great things to think about here. If you need assistance and help with your financial and retirement plans, uh, pick up the phone and give Charles a call. He can walk through a complete planning process with you, make sure that you are well prepared to get to and all the way through your retirement years. Uh, Go through the process by picking up the phone and calling today, 610-388-7705. That's 610-388-7705. Or go online to cpweldygroup.com. That's cpweldygroup.com. Links and contact info in the description of today's show so you can find it easily. Charles, thanks for the guidance today. Really appreciate it and look forward to chatting with you again soon. Thank you, Walter. All right, very good. That's Charles Weldy. I'm Walter Storholt. We will see you next time right back here on Reengineering Your Finances. Financial planning and advisory services are offered through Prosperity Capital Advisors, PCA, an SEC-registered investment advisor with its principal place of business in the state of Ohio. CP Weldy Group and PCA are separate, non-affiliated entities. PCA does not provide tax or legal advice. Insurance and tax services offered through CP Weldy Group are not affiliated with PCA. Information received from this podcast should not be viewed as individual investment advice. Product discussions and illustrations are hypothetical in nature and will vary based on many factors, including but not limited to age, health, product, insurance carrier, and product design. You should consult the insurance carrier website and policy for detailed information. Content may have been created by a third party and was not written or created by a PCA-affiliated advisor and does not represent the views or opinions of PCA or its subsidiaries. For information pertaining to the registration status of PCA, please contact the firm or refer to the Investment Advisor Public Disclosure website, www.advisorinfo.sec.gov. For additional information about PCA, including fees and services, send for our disclosure statement as set forth on Form ADV from PCA using the contact information herein. Please read the disclosure statement carefully before you invest or send money.